Hey Charlie, have you voted in the Tofacha board yet? You mean the competition we're running to celebrate our artist and friend James Fosdyke? Yeah, of course that's what I mean. What else the would I mean? The competition where we're asking listeners to vote for their favourite Tofop art illustrations created by Foz? Y- yes, that, that's exactly what I'm talking about. The one about. that only takes a minute on our website, tofop.com, and every entrant goes in the draw to win one of ten signed Tofop artworks? Yes, I, I can't tell you any more times. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Have you voted yet? No! Well, what are you waiting for? Vote in the Tofachibald now. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You want me to vote now because voting is only open until 4pm on October 4? Yeah, that, yep, that's it. Stop it. A listener production. The creators of this podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which it is recorded. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are the first storytellers of this land. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, as well as any Indigenous people who may be listening today. Everyone relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello and thank you for watching. I've been um, editing the – because Mike, Mike podcast Mike's away. So I've been having to edit the videos that have been going onto mm-hmm. YouTube and I do not enjoy the experience. <laughs> the content, like, it's great, but, like, I've never – like, I'm looking at myself talking for close to an hour, just my head. Like, it's not like when I've seen myself on TV and they'll cut to different angles and stuff and – like it's literally just every stupid expression my face makes when I'm listening. Like I have such a dumb – like I look like a dog when I'm listening to you sometimes. Like I've got the mouth half open. No, I, you don't have to tell me this. I'm <laughs> literally – that's what thing. I look at the entire podcast. <laughs> it's been 13 years of me looking at your dumb dog expression <laughs> as I'm trying to entertain people. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, it's terrible to have to like – I, one of the things I know, because every year I'm like, how do I improve as a stand-up comedian? And the one thing I know would be the major way to improve is to listen back to my shows. Watch my shows back, listen back to my shows. Like it's basic, like 101, the most proven thing that you could do to improve. And I cannot bring myself to do it. I will do anything else there is to improve so I don't have to do that because I find the idea of watching me and listening to me so repellent that I'm often surprised other people choose to do There's it. There's times where I don't mind it, but I think it is in the unique circumstances that TOEFOP operates in, the free-form conversational jazz that two old mates mm. having a comedy conversation might find themselves in. That's where I think I'm like, ah. Oh. Because so often, you know. I mean, if you said to somebody, do you want to go out tonight and see some free-form conversational <laughs> jazz, <laughs> I would stop being friends with that person. Well, it depends. I mean, what 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 is it like? Is it a festival? Is it a one-off? A freeform conversational festival, jazz festival? Yeah. Like, I, are there lots of acts to choose from? Uh, Who's going to be there? Uh, well, all the best freeform conversational jazz <laughs> conversationists. <laughs> so Stephen Fry might be there. You think? Yeah, but he's not more your freeform conversational jazz, right? I don't. I don't consider him to be necessarily like. 
Like I, I, I feel like Gareth Reynolds, like he's more like a jazz, he, yeah, right. Switches yeah, around. improviser, right? Like he switches around. You never know where it's going to go. He's following the the vibe of the conversation. That's that to me feels Kevin Smith more would like be there. He's a Kevin verbose Smith, yeah. big talker. Doesn't uh -huh. do impressions, but does yeah. wander around and stuff. What about mm. loves a conversational jazz cigarette <laughs> as well? So perfect. For I think Kevin he's actually Smith. quit. I think he's off it. Really? Yeah, yeah. I think he. I think he's. I think he's quit. Entirely now that he's got this new lease on life post heart attack, I think he's uh, quit the jazz. I think he they have a brand. He sells it. He just doesn't consume it. Yeah, really. So he doesn't get high on his own supply. I'm pretty sure, which sort of coincides with me losing interest in the work he's been making. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> imagine you just go look. It's tough, isn't it? That when you're like, yeah, you're really funny, stoned. Like being stoned, talking about being stoned. I'm having a little break at the moment from, uh, but a break. I've not made any big Kevin Smith style life changes, but I am having a little break. And it does worry me that I did my first improvised show on the weekend where, um, you know, and that is very much, you know, conversational jazz, those improvised shows. And, I did my first mm, one. A little ham and eggs coming at you. A little bit of ham and eggs. Like just, <laughs> <laughs> with your conversational flute. <laughs> do, 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 do. Ah, yeah. Drop a bone. <laughs> do, 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 do. I like an entire audience to suck on my conversational flute. But I blow your flute, hadn't. I believe. Sorry, blow my <laughs> conversational flute. Well, this is what I mean. You know, am I better with a performance? Is it for conversational jazz, is pot a performance-enhancing drug? For some. For mm. some. I think for me it definitely is because it. There, when I am uh, in a sober state, there is a, little, there is a little quality control going on between brain and mouth. There's a guy who's like in intercepting every message from the brain mm. to the mouth and going, hang on, let me just – probably not good to say that. That's when right. there's some smoke in there, it gets a bit cloudy, yeah. and that guy he can't see what's coming through. Uh, out of out of the way. So he nerd. might get like four <laughs> out of the four out of ten, but six. Yeah. Unlike let some through. Let some of the comedy through. Will get through. <laughs> Unleash the comedy kraken, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Well, I have like you know this is um, uh, coincidence, no, cause not causation, correlation, but. It, at almost the exact same time that I've decided to have a break, I've also, for the first time in ages, got sick. Now, the sickness I think is actually allergies. There was a, they were doing massive burn-offs in Sydney, and then it's just been really windy, and it's like just that time of the. So I think it's all the symptoms seem to be allergy-related, but it did also happen at the exact same time that I stopped. Like, and I wonder if. Much like you have that little guard that you know was stopping those conversational points getting out, you know that the smoke obscures and you're able to slip a few through. I wonder if like all the bushfire smoke and Genuine like smoke. allergens were able to get in because I wasn't like normally they're like, nah, it's full in here, mate. Already full yeah. of smoke. No room for extra <laughs> smoke in here, full. right? <laughs> Whereas I've allowed. My body to go. My body's like, well, where's the yeah. smoke? And it's like sucked some from the environment. <laughs> I just need the smoke. Instead, need the smoke. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's why. Maybe. Did it? Well, did it affect your? Uh, do you notice a difference between when you do your improvised show sober and when you're not? 
I, well, here's the good news because this would have gone badly the other way. I think it was the best one of those that I – possibly the best one that I've done. Like it, so – that's a good positive message that I do not need it. I actually really enjoyed doing the show. I was super sharp and like, like the audience were amazing though. Like when I do those improvised shows, I like put it this way, every single person I talk to, if I just had evened out two of them in every show that I do, they would all be brilliant shows because in like for one of those shows that go really well, you just need – Two or three people that have an interesting angle or an interesting story or, or, you know, like an interesting group of people that are there together, just something that you can create a story and a vibe around. This one, literally every single person I went to, there was something, right? Like, and not just, like, there was a guy with some, like, Harry Potter glasses who looked like an older Harry Potter and made quite some quite generic joke. And normally you could, like, it might just stop there. He goes, I've actually got, also got a scar on my head. And he goes, so it's like quite strange. And so I start talking to him about this scar. It turns out that like he came from, like he, he'd come to Australia from Ireland. His parents like thought that he needed to learn like traditional Australian things. So like he got taught how to like throw a boomerang properly. And when he was like a kid, he could actually always get the boomerang to come back. Except one day he was throwing the boomerang and then he tripped over. And as he got up, he'd lost sight of the boomerang and it smashed him in the head, which to me is the funniest way to get a scar <laughs> of all time. Like, But that was what the whole show was like. Every single person I talked to, they just had some version of like a funny story so i can't quite tell if it was that i was very good or i just happened to have one of those days where every single person i talked to was could, could it be one of those things like when mm. they talk about the way hypnosis works like a lot mm. of it isn't necessarily mind control as much as it is as it is the power of suggestion so when people see like a show hypnotist and that hypnotist is getting someone to behave, you know, behave like a chicken or, mm. you know, pretend they can't find their yeah. ass or whatever it is. There is an element of that person that is a people pleaser and that is knows they're at they're at a show. And so they're going to play along with it subconsciously or consciously. That's that's kind of what's happening. Do you think there's an element, not that you are a hypnotist, that the first guy you go to is Harry Potter, great story. So then the next person you go to is like, fucking hell, like Harry Potter did good. good. Like, if, mm, better, I better bring out the, better the ones this. I say for Christmas, you know, whatever. Well, this is what I'm going to say to you. Well, it might have been the other way around because Harry Potter was about three quarters of the way through the show. Like Harry Potter was an added bonus I didn't even need at that point. I would have been happy with what had happened so far. I could have cruised <laughs> to the end before Harry Potter introduced himself to this conversation. So I do agree that I think when I'm doing those improvised shows because you want the first interaction to go really well and you want to prove to the audience that I'm going to have fun with you but I'm not going to make fun of you, right? Like I might make some fun around you but in general it's going to be like a pleasant and easy experience. You're not going to feel embarrassed by it or, you know, most of the time I let them be the hero. You know, it always falls back on me, those sort of things. So I do tend to find that if the first one goes really well and it fits all those parameters, everybody else is then like, oh yeah, I want to be involved. That was great. Like, I hope that's me. Am I next? You know, and you do start to see people. I do think there is that sense of like they do with hypnotism because I have been chosen for hypnotism before and it is that experience. And I think part of the trick of the hypnotist is knowing what to look for in people to pick, right? Because there are some people who are more susceptible to the hypt- hypnotism and some who aren't. And I think in those shows, if if, it go, if the first one goes well, 
the people who want to be involved or have a story do tend to lean a little forward in their chairs or sort of keep eye contact with you when you look over the crowd. And and then it is just that sense of, oh, I pick you because I can see that there's something here and then I just have to work out what it is. So, yeah, I do think there is an element of that for sure. That pick me, it's that pick mm. me energy. Like that's, mm. I could imagine that would be easy to spot, even when we've done live shows. Did I mention we're doing live shows, Will? Uh, November 11th in Melbourne and November 25th in Sydney. Tofop Live. First show sold out in Melbourne, second show selling Pretty very much, quickly. I think so by the people time wanna, people hear this, it may have yeah, also already so sold So get in out. very when, quick. If you're in Sydney, there are still some tickets what's going available. On there? But again, by the Melbourne, time- just like Melbourne's more up for live stuff. What do you reckon? Like why? why? Uh, uh, Sydney are later buyers, but also- I have just been doing a month of shows. I know, so people have got their Sydney fill of at that venue. <laughs> so, well, there isn't as much, you know. I mean, it's a bit more special, I think, in Melbourne. But I do think that I mean that Sydney show is going to sell out. So, but we might not. It will be that thing of if you don't get tickets to that first Sydney show, don't necessarily expect that there's going to be a second Sydney show. So I would say if you want to come to the Sydney show, get in quick to that one as well. But it's a bit further away as well, isn't it? Because it's the November yeah, 25th. 25 yeah. one. So people might feel like – I'm not going to say who the guest is, but we have a great also, guest as well. Also, bigger venue. That's why. So yeah. there's tickets available. Yes. And like Will says, they're still going fast. Do you think we'll still be talking about Michael Flatley come November? Are we going to talk, about Michael, talk about Michael Flatley today? Oh, oh, really? It? I kind of felt like it was all resolved last week. It is week. resolved, but I got mm. this email and I just thought it was worth sharing with you because apparently Glenn Robbins and Dave O'Neill on their podcast very recently talked about Michael Flatley, not in relation to us. I think it was just parallel thinking, but- Just referenced it or talked some, about I, I that rumour? I haven't or? listened to the, the, the clip, but mm. someone did send me something from Dave and, and Glenn's show saying, hey, Michael Flatley's- Somehow related, well, their show is called, I right. believe. And, and, but I think it's the yes. specific thing of the sex coming off stage. So oh, okay. when it comes to middle-aged well, comedians again, reminiscing about pop culture right. We all remember this one time. Uh, so this came from Andrew. Uh, hey, guys, long time, first time, blah, 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 blah. Um, to settle the rumour, I 100% remember hearing about Michael Flatley having uh, a sex that came off stage. There was even a full frontal sketch that starred Ross Williams that referred to it. Ah. Blah, 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 blah. The other thing you guys need to talk- Possibly written by David. Oh, yeah, right. It could have been. Because he was a writer for like for Full Frontal and all those well, shows. So, yeah, so, I mean- we got, so we've got Kath and Kim Full Frontal. Mm. We know that they, they've done two mm. kind of references to it. Yeah. And then the third one that people Martin bring Malloy, up- obviously. Well, Martin Malloy and then yeah. 60 Minutes. Um, yeah. So that ecosystem all fed into each other, like, you know, three comedy shows and then- I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. I reckon 60 Minutes yeah. definitely would have brought it up. That was back in the days when they were a bit more like 60 Minutes was a, not not above a, a, like a, a trashy sort of celeb story. Like I remember, was it Mike Munro? He, was he one of the head reporters in 60 Minutes? Yeah, that's yeah. right. He did like one of those flirt interviews with Madonna and I haven't yeah. seen it in a while. But my memory of it was it was completely inappropriate <laughs> even for the late 80s, like the way he was addressing her. And the way he was talking to her about, like, you know, her her sex book well, and, it, like, the fact that she was just a woman embracing her sexuality. Yeah, was, like, how yeah. many lovers have you had? Like, really personal, inappropriate questions. Like, I think he, at one point, 
oh, when are you coming to Australia? And she said, I'm coming soon, I promise. And he was like, I bet you said that to all the guys. And it's like, holy fuck, you're Ugh, about 20 years gross. older than her for a start. Stop it. <laughs> anyway, that was 60 minutes back in the day. Um, no. So Andrew says, the thing you need to talk about in relation to Michael Flatley is his film Blackbird. Do you know anything okay. about this? No, 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 no. The movie was announced back in 2018 and for a very, very, very long time, everyone knew that the movie was finished, but as far as anyone knew, it had only ever been screened twice, but nobody knew anything about it. It's a really odd duck of a movie release story. It was finally released in Ireland last year and was as bad as everyone thought it would be. As far as I know, there's still no way to watch it in Australia and there probably never will be. Okay, so I dug into... Yes. The Blackbird story. And I found <laughs> love how this show's become like some kind of finding Drago celebrity intrigue story uh, podcast. This is from the Irish Daily Mail uh-huh. in 2018. The headline is Michael Flat is Michael Flatley the new Bogart? <laughs> no. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> uh, he may be the Lord of the Dance. Mm, hey, oh, well, yeah, he great. might be good stuff. He already. might be the sex mad <laughs> Lord of the Dance. Yeah, he might be the title. sex mad Lord of the Dance. <laughs> but will Michael Flatley's new self-financed film with his him as the star mm. make him the king of the Oscars or the flops? <laughs> uh, the flops. I'm going to say. The Why flops. did they not just say Lord of the Oscars? Lord? Why did they switch from Lord of the Dance to King of the Oscars? Like, wouldn't it be more consistent to say he's the Lord of the Dance? Will this make him Lord of the Oscars to then shift over to a different regal status? Is just confusing. But also, the Oscars are just an awards. Like Lord of the Dance versus Lord of the Silver Screen or Lord of the- Lord of Hollywood. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's the art form, not the- The award ceremony. It's not, yeah, you're right. It's not not Lord of the Tonys. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. All right, off to a bad start, Catherine. Catherine Murphy of the Irish uh, Daily Mail. By his own admission, Michael Flatley has always wanted to be a movie star. And now that his dancing career is over, it seems like his dream is finally coming true with the completion of his first feature film, Blackbird. Celebrating his 60th birthday this week, Flatley posted a single image on Instagram. Now, I want to show you, I want to show my screen with you. I want to show you a couple of images. So there's two movie posters for Blackbird that clearly suggest that one was run past like market research and they're like, you need to get a better one. I assume that this um, film was like self-financed, right? We're like, going to get into it. Flat- okay, <laughs> great. Okay. All right, so describe this movie poster. That's Michael Flatley front and centre. What what genre, what style of film is he evoking? Mm, I mean, a James Bond style he's film. He's in a white. Right? Or a secret agent or like some sort of, he's got a white tuxedo, white jacket, like black white shirt. Yeah. And very much like with this sort of look of, um, you know, he's Connery just rolled down to, yeah, down to the, he's just been down to the casino or whatever to, you know, like pull off something. And then underneath there's <laughs> such a weird, <laughs> the, the, the bow tie is now untied. He's got the same white shirt on. So it feels like it's the same outfit. Um, he's got this a white shirt on, but it's un, uh, Done at the neck now. Yeah. He's got the bow tie sort of hanging after loose. party look. 
but with a gun in both yeah, hands. Really unconvincingly holding two pistols. Yeah. Like right, really the unconvincingly. The like, almost crossing each other, in which case if he pulled the trigger, he may shoot yeah. his own hands off. It feels like he would shoot one gun out of his <laughs> hand. Like it feels like the right-hand gun is poor, like would shoot the left-hand gun out of his hand is the way he's holding them. And this is the poster. Yeah. Like this isn't – you can imagine in a still in the movie – then maybe you might, you know, have an awkward shot of the gun. But this is literally the poster shot. I, I won't reveal anything else that's on there until you want to talk about what else is on. Oh no! I uh, so the tagline for the film is mm. "Some things are still worth dying for," which is one of those great action movie lines where it sort of makes sense on the first listen, and then when you actually stop and think about it, you're like some things are still worth dying for. So assuming that. There are some causes which are always worth dying for, and if you need a reminder, yes, this is still worth dying for. How does that make sense? Well, I mean, I think it's more implying that we live in a world where people think things aren't worth dying for anymore, and he thinks that something is worth dying for. Okay. Um, can I read the quote yep. that's on the poster? Because this is a real highlight. Uh, this is from um, I can't like it's so the independent small. UK. In the independent UK, this is the quote. Michael Flatley, as you've never seen him before. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, in a movie, acting, not dancing. Uh, like, I mean. Okay, here's some stills. Yeah, okay. So that's sort of a continuation of. Uh... Okay, so the first still that you've put up there is like, again, he's got the open neck shirt, but now his white tuxedo jacket is stained with blood. So and he's neatly deployed the blood. Like. Yeah. Not at mm. all realistic. Like so art directed did these little swatches of blood on his crisp white shirt. Yeah, but he's got but blood all over his yeah. jacket as well that he's holding in his hand. Yeah. But he does look, I mean, for a guy who's 60 years old, he looks pretty good. Like he looks like he could definitely be an action did hero. You, did you miss the two pistols he has tucked into the front of his pants, pointed right at his dick? <laughs> oh, my God, I did. I absolutely <laughs> did miss those two dick pistols because – they are. That's the only way that he can stop himself from having sex as soon as he gets <laughs> on stage. Dick off. <laughs> he he dick threatens off. his cock every night. He's like, "Listen here, penis. Yeah. I just want to get through yeah. one performance of my hit show, Lord of the Dance, <laughs> and I'm going to put two guns right here. If you bloody try and have sex with anyone, I'm going to blow your head clean off." Yeah, for a guy who, like when he was holding the gun before, looked like he was going to shoot the other gun out of his hand, I wouldn't trust the way he's placed <laughs> both of those guns pointed at his testicles. <laughs> okay, so that was the first poster, right, which yep. was, as you described, a James Bond right. knockoff. Now, And I think that what we've got to point out is, because this will tell people everything that they need to know about this film, the co-star, the Hollywood co-star, is none other than Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts, who, you know, in the yep. in the early 80s was an actor of repute. But now yep. he's one of those guys who does 200 films. Now he's making movies with 200 films a year. <laughs> like you just check yep. out his IMDb. Yep. It's like he works for two or three days at a time, mostly in Eastern Europe. Um, okay, so that was the first poster. And clearly they tested, market tested it and was getting no cut through. So then a few months later they released this much more in the vein of a Liam oh. Neeson Hundred percent. That's a Liam man. Like it's it's more stylized yes. and edgy, sort of like a a, a single, almost like a sepia toned, full yes. scale. I mean, a hundred percent. Like someone's stolen your daughter and you're out for revenge style. Like so flatly, and then all the other characters in the film superimposed 
onto the front of his silhouette and then like just fire bursting from his That's the explosion from him shooting his own dick off. (laughs) Dick off. (laughs) It's clearly where the guns were pointed. That's clearly what happened. Okay. You know what though? That like I got to be honest with you. If that was Liam Neeson as opposed to Michael Flatley, I would 100% watch that movie on a plane. Like I'd already be like, oh, yeah, that looks pretty good. Middle-aged Irish man goes and punches people. It's a genre we love, right? Yes. Okay. Well, let's get back to this article. Okay. So um, uh, by his own admission, Flatley has always wanted to be a movie star. And now that his dancing career is over, it seems like his dream is finally coming true with the completion of his first feature film, Blackbird. Celebrating his 60th birthday this week, Flatley posted a single – post on Instagram. The photograph to mark the occasion shows him with a cocktail in one hand, a trilby in the other side, a la Humphrey Bogart, and he looks like he stepped out of a 1930s speakeasy. It's not a far cry from the posters for Blackbird. One of them shows him clad in a white dinner jacket and a dicky bow, while another shows him holding two guns, <laughs> as we pointed out, mm-hmm. pointed directly at his dick. <laughs> <laughs> like promotions for a spoof spy thriller, one image of him covered with fake blood elicits laughter rather than admiration. But they're no spoof. Following in the dance steps of Gene Kelly and had signed to LA agency CAA, CAA last autumn, Flatley has turned to movie making with his eye firmly set on the Oscars. He's registered with the UK company's office as the director of two films, Blackbird Films and Dance Lord Productions. <laughs> Both founded in 2017 and both based in the same Soho office. While he describes himself online as a dancer, musician, choreographer, artist, flautist, actor, director, and philanthropist, his company's registrations describe, describe him simply as being Irish and a dancer. Mm. Well, that's what he's mostly known yeah. for. He's the, he's the Irish dancer guy. <laughs> as his first fe- fe- feature-length film, he reportedly wants to make lots of movies – uh, Blackboard, Blackbird is a romantic spy thriller featuring actors Eric Roberts, Patrick Bergen, and Ian Beatty. You only have to read the posters, Michael Flatley, as you've never seen him before, and some things are still worth dying for to get an idea of what's ahead. Blackbird. Mm. We, we certainly did both of those things <laughs> and made suppositions. Blackbird, which Flatley has written, produced, directed, starred in, and financed. Yeah. Great, perfect. <laughs> is a romantic spy thriller which tells the story of an uh, MI5 agent, Victor Blackley, who retires mm. in Barbados to escape his mm. dark past. And to- he's done. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's retired, man. He's too old for this shit and nothing can bring him back. Uh, and he also runs a luxurious nightclub. Mm. It was nice. shot partly on location at Flatley's Castlehide Mansion in Cork and features drone footage of the 150-acre site and pile which was the ancestral home of Ireland's first president, Douglas Hyde. Okay. Uh, Flatley put the Castle Hyde property on the market in 2015 at an original asking price of £20 million. Pounds. Oh, yeah. When it didn't sell, it vanished from property websites. It has since gone back on sale via Sotheby's International Realty with an asking price of 12.5, a reduction of 36%. Flatley reportedly spent £30 million pounds restoring the home. Okay. It's a bit of a bath there. Yeah. Blackbird was also filmed in London, but mostly on the island of Barbados, where he owns a beach home. Yeah, nice. Is- I'm, I'm loving everything about this, by the way. I'm, I'm actually – none of this is turning me off because this is exactly the sort of thing that somebody – if I had $300 million and I'm 60 and I don't give a fuck anymore and I want to be a movie star, I would absolutely write – 
direct, starring my own movies, shoot it at my, at my castle and my house in Barbados. Like, it seems like a good time to me. Photos from the film shoot show Flatley and the crew on board a luxury yacht. Yeah. Yeah, nice. While his team reportedly took over the high-end cliff restaurant on the island for filming, one cast member, Mary Louise Kelly, posted images of Instagram, images of herself on Instagram strolling on the beach in the upmarket sun, sunny Sandy Lane Resort. The film is estimated to have cost anywhere between one and two and a half million pounds. Cheap. And has been made in conjunction with a number of companies, Five Night Films in Dublin, West One's Entertainment in London, Flatley's own Dance Lord Pictures, and Parachute Films in Barbados. Isn't Barbados where people go to launder money as well? 100% there'd be some money yeah. laundering going <laughs> it's on. like a tax dodge. I mean, and I would, su- would su- suggest that like the idea that he shot some of it at his castle means that he can write off some of those improvement costs at the castle yes. as well, I think, is a tax dodge. That's totally it. That's, that's art department yeah. spend. His accountant has come to him and said, you're going to be three million pounds yeah. in the hole next year. Mm. Can you come up with you a can make a expense? You can make a $1 million film. Yeah. <laughs> And save yourself four million dollars. <laughs> Flatley's only previous acting experiences in two short films, a little bit a tear, until forever, which was shot in the past year or so. In a little bit of tear, he plays a down and he's like clown, while Till Forever sees him playing a second uh, World War soldier. Blackbird had a private screening in London and Dublin at the end of June. Following the Dublin screening at Stellar Cinemas, sixty or so invited guests enjoyed drinks at the Blackbird Star's uh, home. The film doesn't yet have a distributor or a release date, but we spoke to a number of film industry professionals who attended the screening and gave us early reviews of the film. And? Early predictions are that despite his adoring fans around the world, Flatley's first film could be a massive flop. This is a quote from someone. Blackbird is a total vanity project, an ego trip, one person told us. It's just Flatley all the way through in a white dinner jacket and a dicky bow tie trying to look like Humphrey Bogart. It's a bit like Goldfinger meets Casablanca with Flatley modelling himself after on a retired 007. From top to bottom, the project is Flatley's. He's a man who's either wanted total control of the project or couldn't get anyone else to invest in it. He's extremely protective of it, and the film is sitting in the post-production office in Dublin and reportedly can't be watched without Flatley's express permission. There's so much silence around it, you'd need to be a spy to get any information. I've seen some awful films, but this by far is the worst. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Another quote says, The film itself is diabolical. The story is basically about Michael Flatley as Victor Blackley saving the world. This computer chip containing a formula for blowing up the world. Oh, good. That massive MacGuffin. That's what we need. <laughs> a computer chip that can blow up the world. But this is like written by a 10-year-old. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, that's been stolen and is about to be sold to the highest bidder. Blackley has to recover the chip from the villains. I mean, this is every one of those movies. Though. Yeah. Like, to be fair, they're mocking, you know, this. but this is essentially like the plot of the most recent Mission Impossible film, yeah. like with a few tweaks. That's the thumbnail sketch. Anyone yeah. can come up with that broad brush strokes plot outline, but it's then yeah. how you execute. There's a giant computer thing that's going to, like, blow up the world. Somebody wants to steal. Yeah. This anonymous source says, the biggest problem is that the plot is incomprehensible until about an hour and a quarter in. Viewers at the screening were unsure who was who or what was what. They couldn't tell who the hero was, who the villain was. Yeah. I mean, I imagine the hero is Michael Flatley's character. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, like, I mean, if I can take a guess without seeing it, I reckon he's the hero. If that basic plot error was fixed, it would still be an awful movie, but at least you'd know what was going on in it. It's like an adventure story written by a 14-year-old. Mm, Flatley is just so wooden. He doesn't look like he knows how to handle a gun, and the dialogue is infantile. 
Interestingly, this is the long quote from one source. Interestingly, he doesn't dance, but he does play the flute in a funeral scene. Mm, great. Which viewers found heartbreaking for all the wrong reasons. Let's just say that Michael doesn't do pathos very well. I mean, is there a chance though? Because like we found out last week that he's worth what three hundred million dollars, right? I mean, firstly, I would have just loved if he'd really rolled the dice and not made a hundred million dollar film. He'd literally made like a two hundred fifty million dollar film because he'd still have fifty million dollars left, which is plenty for anyone. But he just decides he's going to give it a Marvel budget. Yeah, he's going to like you know actually like, but but even if he's just making million dollar films. Could Tofop go to Flatley and say, look, like, we love you. We're, you know. Multiple episodes on you. Yeah. I mean, we're quite obsessed by you. So a couple of things. Firstly, did you actually have sex immediately after coming off stage? Secondly, we're willing to write the movies for you. Yeah, that's a great idea. You can direct them, you can whatever, but we'll just like plot them for you. We'll give them a bit of humour. We'll make them a bit more tongue-in-cheek. I think we've got to bring in the dancing. Okay. I think it's an absolute – like because all these movies have essentially the same – like Liam Neeson has just been making movies where he's a person with a certain set of skills. He's retired from that, you know, thing. I mean, it's what John Wick is. It's what that – a Bob Odenkirk movie was like it's just a guy who has a certain set of skills he's retired he doesn't want to do it anymore but then some bad thing happens and he needs to use his certain set of skills right I think what we're missing here is Michael Flatley's certain set of skills yeah a dancing yeah right yeah like he's a guy who doesn't want to dance anymore but we've got to incorporate for some reason why this guy who's really really good at dancing like, I mean, we even maybe get Careless Whisperers, like, you know, to, like to, to play over the scene. Like, it's all about how he's never going to dance again. Like, and then for some reason he has to come back and he has to dance Okay, again. what about if we create some set of rules? Mm. Like either it's a dystopian future, you know, with an author, author like a author, authoritarian, what do you say, authoritarian, yeah. you know, the government that controls authoritarian, authoritarian government yeah. that has banned dancing or – we make it sort of or small authoritarian, scale. which is just authors yeah. are in charge. <laughs> a whole bunch of authors are now in charge. Or it's a small town like Footloose where yep. dancing has been banned. Yeah. So I think that's what. What about that? You could reboot Footloose, yeah. but rather than, um, mm. you know, Kevin Bacon arrives at yeah. Footloose High, or yeah. <laughs> I think that's what it was called, Footloose High. I've already been able to dance, mm. but. He can't. So he arrives at this town where banting has been damned, but there is an underground scene where kids just go out. Did you mean to say banting has been damned? <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> but I think we've got the title of this week's episode. Banting has been damned. <laughs> yeah, bloody Dan Andrews. He's bloody <laughs> banting. My favourite pastime has been, has been Okay, damned. so like I mean, it's a bit, yeah. Like I mean, he's more like a Patrick Swayze style, like older. I'm thinking like Rambo in Rambo 2. He's oh, yeah, in, okay. He was once – the dancing got banned. Lord of the Dance. Yeah. In the, in the mid 90s because it got too sexy. Dancing got banned. He was the yeah. Lord of the Dance, but yeah. he, he brought. He was the sexiest dancer all of all time. time. Had to have sex immediately after he got on stage, but dancing got so sexy that, that the, this the crowd. authoritarian government <laughs> authoritarian. <laughs> have, have damned dancing. Yeah. <laughs> and, 
I mean, I've been blaming not wearing glasses, but I can't. I was not reading anything when I came up with those two phrases. No, I. you know what I like about Dan Bansing is that, like, they've had to call it Bansing so that people, oh, yeah. like, don't. Yeah, it's like, like capoeira, you know, so that Brazilian yeah. martial art. They, it was, mm. they said, oh, no, no, we're just dancing, we're yeah. dancing, but they were yeah, just yeah. down at the beach, like, practicing how to fight. They were actually learning martial arts, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. So it's like that. He's a – because we still want action Dance. in it. Yeah. Like, it's not just – the footloose dancing thing. I think there's got to be some element of martial arts style, like the dancing is incorporated with martial arts yeah. somehow. So maybe they tell, maybe the kids of the town mm. tell the, you know, the the power brokers. It's like, oh, Bant mm. stands for mm. Bible awareness, mm. never, you know, calling evil or something evil. like that. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so they get together to – I mean, we'll, we'll do a second yeah, draft. This but, is just like we're but, for, for now, it's, that'll be a place It's elevated pitch. Yeah. <laughs> so Kevin Bacon arrives at Footloose High, mm. dancing, dancing's yeah. Dan, and uh, he gets taken to like, you know, sees a girl in class, thinks she's cute, goes, she mm. says, hey, you want to see what really happens after dark? Mm. And you now go, and it's, oh, this, yeah. it's Step Up. It's all, all those films. It's yep. Step Up. It's um, – mm-hmm. Say the last dance. It's, yeah, uh, I mean, this is the like this is what I think he's missed, right? He's kind of tried to make a mashup of these action films. We've got to mash them up with the Karate the dance Kid films meets Footloose. Well. So he's Mr. Yes, Miyagi. There we go. Yeah, that's what's going on. Yes. So Kevin Bacon, and we cast Kevin Bacon, yes. even though he's close to sixty, <laughs> playing a teenager. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Kevin Bacon comes to town as a teenager, <laughs> and so he, um, in the first night of being in this underground dance club, he gets challenged yeah. by the bully, who's the best dancer in in, mm-hmm. in, in Footless yeah. High, and gets humiliated. Mm. And so he goes back to his house, whatever, and the janitor. Yeah, who he's an old Irish guy. Yeah, he's an Irish guy, yeah. and everyone's and he's and well Irish American, right? Because he's actually from an Chicago, American guy, right? Yeah, and yeah. and everyone in the town thinks he's like some drunk. Oh, he's, he's an Irish drunk, yeah. you know. You don't. We 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 didn't hire Catholics in the fifties, and we still don't mm. do it. We still don't do it now. Mm. Um, but then he starts training him. They meet, and there's got to be some exchange. Like Kevin Bacon's like, "I'll is what's the wax on wax off moment with the Lord of the Dance?" Because they keep their arms pinned, right? Yeah. So, oh, well, that's the whole thing. It's like you, hands down. He has to do something where he always like can, has to keep his hands You've got to clean my chimney mm. and the best way to get in there is mm. to put your arms by his side. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. your arms get jammed. So oh, yeah. he has to clean. Clean the chimney. Every day yeah. he's cleaning the chimney, keeping his arms like that. Why do I- Clean the chimney. Clean the pipes. <laughs> yeah. Clean the chimney. Clean the pipes. <laughs> and his mum starts asking, where are you going every day, Kevin mm. Bacon? I'm just going to clean this old guy's pipes. <laughs> <laughs> Mum's like, that's Where are fine. you going, my 60-year-old teenage Who do we cast as 60-year-old Kevin Bacon's mum? Like, it's, she's got to be, you know, 80s. Emma Stone. Emma Stone. <laughs> no. <laughs> With no uh, ageing makeup, no, no digital no. ageing. No. We just well, don't she's the right it. age. Yeah. She's the right age to have a teenager. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> okay, brilliant. So then do we just follow yeah. the rest of the plot of um, yeah. – then it's just Karate Kid where, that – or do we? Is there a B plot going on? Because mm. not only can he he has to defeat the bully yeah. at at Bansing, yeah. but he also has to liberate the town from this authoritarian. Well, I think that yeah. I mean, I think that there's got to be like an action like thing as well, and that's got to involve him coming back to dancing himself. Okay, right? so like that's the other thing. So he, he he's getting trained. He's going up mm. and down the chimney yeah. flatly, like, yeah. and then he's like, "This is bullshit, man." Like you, you know, you said you're going to teach me how to dance. All I've been doing yeah. is cleaning your house for you. And then yeah. he's like, "Well, he wouldn't say Daniel's son. It'd be come here, yeah. <laughs> uh, Luddy, 
come here, lad. And then uh, he's like, clean the chimney. And he goes to go up the chimney. He's like, no, clean the chimney. And he puts his arms by his side and then flatly starts showing him like the jig. Okay. Montage. Well, maybe it's like a Mission Impossible style thing where like they have to steal something or like get inside somewhere and the whole the only way you can do it is the momentum of the feet but keeping your arms down like yeah. that's the only way to get through yeah. is like to do it that way like a heist sort of thing where there's lasers yeah like, you know, and the other way is you can dance through with your arms down but at the last moment something happens there like kevin bacon's had his bit his karate kid footloose moment but then for the final scene like something happens to kevin bacon character and that's when michael flatley has the <laughs> Yeah, like, you know. well, I think Michael Flatley can come out before that yeah. because I reckon what happens is hot-headed Kevin Bacon learns a few jig, jigs, but Flatley's like you're not ready because there's one final thing you have to learn. There's one thing, yeah. which and then it's like the the, the which is having sex immediately. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that the strength is within you, but no, having sex within an hour coming yeah. off stage—that's what he's got to learn. <laughs> so he goes into dancing yeah. too early and gets really yeah. badly. Yeah. Hurt or something like pulls. Well, a he gets hurt because he has no one to have sex with immediately oh, afterwards. Blue balls, right? Shocking blue yeah, balls. He gets blue balls. Yeah. <laughs> he gets taken and to so- hospital and put on life support. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> and his wife he, yells at Michael Flatley. Because he did this dancing. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have a wife. He's a teenager. <laughs> I mean, so his mum yells at Flatley. <laughs> he's, he's, he's yeah, his mum Emma Stone <laughs> yells at Michael Flatley. <laughs> you did this to him. You're responsible. And Flatley's like, I never yeah. should have got back into dancing. Yeah. This is what happens. Yeah. Kids don't understand. The Lord of the Dance makes you so horny, you get blue balls. And if you don't immediately. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Give us a call, Michael Flatley. We've got your new script. I would watch that. That that feels better than the thing that he (laughs) made. (laughs) I'll leave this article. There's just one quote I want to read. This is the anonymous source, just the one last thing. Mm. There is one laugh out loud moment in Blackbird where Flatley is kneeling over a character. It looks like the character's half his head's been blown off. There's blood everywhere. Flatley moves back towards the camera and says, he's dead, <laughs> as if it's a okay. big revelation. Okay. I think our film's Well, I think out. our movie would be funnier yeah. is what I'm going to say. And I think we lean into the comedy. Yeah. Like, but also take it seriously. Like, you know, because it's going to be funnier if he takes it very seriously, I think. We don't want him to know he's playing comedy. We want him to play it very seriously. Well, so there is a way of doing it. Like, you know, you think about Lost in Translation or being Mm -hmm. John Malkovich, two films which hinged on the participation of someone playing a version of themselves. What if it's all happening within Michael Flatley's balls? So, like, being John Malkovich style, instead of inside John Malkovich's brain, it's inside Michael Flatley's balls. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm just I mean, I think there's something. Or are you saying that is that a mm. twist that happens at the end that, like. Oh, there's a pullback and reveal. Yeah. And we realize we're just. Yeah, he pulls out as we pull testicle. back and reveal. <laughs> there's a pull out and reveal. <laughs> like, you know, there's something disastrous. The mm. kid. Kevin Bacon gets hurt, the mum's yelling at Flatley, all is lost. But then he wakes up in his mansion, his $20 million castle in in Cork, and is like, oh, it's an awful dream. Then he rolls over, but Kevin Bacon's lying next to him, and it's like, no, it wasn't a dream. (laughs) (laughs) We're just spitballing. We're just spitballing. (laughs) Come on, Will. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, I love it, but I think now we're going to have difficulty getting Kevin Bacon involved. <laughs> that's a, that's the problem. I feel like Flatley will still be on board, but Kevin Bacon might draw a line in the Well, he's, well Kevin Bacon did that Guardians of the Galaxy movie where he played himself, mm, so he might be true. open to it. I think that is a film that I would like to see, but it's too niche. Apart from uh, middle-aged middle-aged people in Australia, who's going to get the flatly balls thing? Like there's no American market for it. Dave Anthony proved that. Yeah, And we've had point, no American actually. listeners write in and say we knew the same yeah. thing. I mean, maybe we've gone the wrong direction. Is there a Michael Flatley biopic? Like you, we, we're trying to cast Michael Flatley, but like there's been such a success with like the Queen biopics and with like the Elton John biopics. Like it is a genre, right? Like, is there like a Michael Flatley biopic? Because it feels like his life off stage was like, you know, the sort of fodder that you would have in a biopic. Mm. And then Flatley just gets to play himself in a cameo at some stage. Right. Yeah. He, play, the end, he plays right? the dance teacher who tells him you'll never make it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The dance teacher is like, you're never going to do it if you don't raise your arms. Mate. <laughs> If you don't get your arms waggling about and he just believes too much, he's like, no way, man. One day people are going to love dancing where you don't use your arms. Yeah, uh, all those you wrong. Yeah. Like he's like the executive who said that Bohemian Rhapsody wouldn't work. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, like, that's right. It's just like, it's, it's ridiculous, man. you got to use your arms. I mean, in the trailer, there's always a moment in those biopics yeah. where it's like, who do you think yeah. you are, Flatley? Some kind of lord of the dance? Dance? Yeah, <laughs> right? Writes itself the Michael Flatley biopic. I don't I know. I'm still kind of married to the uh, mm. foot. Loose Karate Kid story as well. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm open to all ideas <laughs> if Michael wants to get involved. <laughs> all right, let's get to the mailbag. Um, yeah. Happy to say that uh, uh, mailbag is back up and running. There was a few weeks there where uh, we were worried that you guys have just lost interest in the show. Turns out it was a, a mail issue with us. It's all fixed now, so please feel free to send us um, your correspondence at tofop.com. And, of course, go to the website and vote in the Tefarchibald uh, 100%. Prize which is uh, James Fosdyke's art. You can go and click on your favourite art, rank them all, uh, but get in there quickly. Uh, we're only doing it for a limited period of time and we would love to know, um, you know, A, that you, you know, support Foz and love his stuff. Uh, like when we're recording this, it's literally only been up for a few hours and people have already gone. But go uh, vote for your favourite pieces of James Fosdyke art at the website, tofop.com. you got till October 4, 4 p.m. October 4th to get your votes in. Hey, uh, well, this came from Elliot. Um, this is not hey, the only uh, email we've had on this subject, and I've, I haven't talked about a lot of them, but I thought we might as well get to one of them, um, and that is that Donut King and Twisties have teamed up. Do you know about this? Mm, familiar with this, yes. Yeah. So I, try, I haven't tried them. I haven't found them to be able to try them. I had tried the raspberry ones. Oh, yeah. You know, they, they yeah, had raspberry Twisties. Yep. The most disgusting snack I have ever tried right. in my entire life. Did not look Just, appealing. Well, horrible. Like horrible in a way that I bought a packet of them, ate like three, and then just threw the rest of the bin. Can I ask? Could not even. Because I've had a personal f uh, yeah. review of the, the the donut twisties, and the thing that put them off the most is they said it's not just like sweet twisties. There is a slightly salty flavor. It's kind of like they want their, their cake in it too. Their twisties is in it too, where it's like it's a salty twisty with some cinnamon and sugar, and that it just doesn't work. Was there a salty – Flavor or is there too much tang I mean, in the raspberry? It certainly assaulted my <laughs> taste buds. Yeah, I, like it was a lot of – I, I mean, it was just – 
Because, I mean, of course, all the flavour that you're getting on any of these snacks isn't actually – like, I mean, it's not like cheese twisties have cheese in them. No. They're like – it's cheese flavouring, right? Salty like it's, dairy is the probably most accurate description. So, so you, like – you know, this is all just flavoring as well, but I found them absolutely – my brain could not work out that what I was meant to be tasting from like a raspberry sweet was in that crunchy, twisty form. Yeah. That was confronting I'm to a me. big fan of like merge and shit, like, you know, mm. Maltesers and sure. popcorn. I'll yeah. even like – Oh, yeah. I mean, great. Butter a Savoy and dip it in honey. It's fucking amazing. Um, but there's some I can't get my head around. And I've noticed like chocolate bars – getting like sweeter and sweeter. It's like, we're just fucking cramming cookies in there and caramel yep. and nougat and Calm this. Down. You've had enough. Yeah. And it's like, I, yep. I'm, I'm starting to get a bit scared by that. I still don't think I've gotten past when Arnott's released their, who did they team up with? The chocolate bar company where they had like iced vovos and chocolate, Savoy's oh, and yeah. chocolate. Mm-hmm. Like I miss those days, Will. And we, I know we got way into it on this show. We were reviewing every one of those. And then I, like a fool, I didn't. I thought the good times were going to last forever. Well, I thought that I, I was like, why would they go away? Because they're so fucking good, and they're like, makes no sense. You can't find them anywhere. It's like what I would give for just one of those, just like you know, normal size Savoy chocolate mashups. I hear. Bring it back, <laughs> or if someone's been holding on to some, if someone's got a stash, let us know. Uh, Elliot continues. Uh, so he, he wants us to do a taste test. Not going to happen, Elliot. But thank you for your contribution. But he had a little PS. Speaking of weird flavor combinations, I recently found out that among the many performers at Woodstock 99 mm. were the, did you know about this? Uh, Australian Umbilical Brothers. The Umbilical Brothers. Yeah. Is this proof that the medium of mine was indirectly responsible for inciting a riot? Yeah. That you can, there is footage of their I'm performance looking or part at it of right their here. performance online. How yeah. did that happen, I wonder? Was Woodstock, did they, was that what they were doing? Rock acts and like- I mean, it's not unusual for those sort of festivals to have some sort of comedy, comedy tent. Like, you know, so Splendid Grass has a comedy tent. Um, like uh, Falls Festival has a comedy tent. Uh, Livid used to have a comedy tent. Uh, what's the big uh, British – Glastonbury has famously has a big comedy tent. Good particularly comedy for earlier on in the day when people are sort of easing into their day at a festival after a big thing. But the umbies, I'm not sure necessarily why. I mean, that would be a great documentary. Is like just that from the umbilical brothers perspective, right? I wonder if there's enough footage of them performing that you could make an entire documentary just about their experience. And I think when you start showing the right footage – they should foley all of it. Oh, they should do all the, all the noises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have all the footage. And they're like, Let's get out of here. <laughs> like, and the bands and stuff. Yeah. Like, literally, Limbus get around So there they do the whole like, thing, not just yeah, the, I'm the just whole thinking thing. the they footage foley, of the riot. No, they foley they get, the like, whole thing. Red Hot Chili Peppers, they're doing the, like, you know, yeah. like they do the entire thing. That's a good try. Uh, this is from Timmy. Hey, guys, I'm just in my kitchen cutting up zucchinis. They are in season at the moment. And boy, 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 are they turgid. If I were the Lord of the Dance, I'd be thrilled to go to work with the zucchini-like chumescence following every performance. Somehow I heard this rumor before. And I shouldn't mind perhaps telling a foul joke at the dinner table. Thanks for all that you do. You are like two uncles nattering at the back of a party who I can always call on in, in okay. on any time. Cheers, Timmy. That. Timmy from Croydon. Hmm. Um, two uncles, you're okay with that? 
Yeah. Well, we're old men. Ah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Uh, this is from Kylie. This is uh, for you, Will. I'm off social media. Oh, yeah. Me too. Since the 1st of September. And I'm interested in Will's experience. How long did it take to stop having the urge to pick up your phone every time you had a lull in activity? Quicker than I imagined, honestly, was I thought it would take ages. In fact, I just thought I'd miss it all much more than I did. I was very prepared. In fact, like I may have mentioned this before, but I honestly thought I was going to write a book about it. I thought I was going to be able to write this whole thing about like this is how my life changed and this is like blah, blah, blah and blah, blah, blah. But honestly, it just kind of went away and like What would you call the book? Disconnectable or something like that. There'd be some kind of like, I need some wellness name to it. Like, I think the folder that I set up oh. for the notes that I was going to make was called uh, I, I Quit. Uh. <laughs> right? That was the folder. That's what it says. And that's about as far as it got. Like, like it was kind of be like how I quit social media and reclaim my life. That's what I was kind of like thinking that it would be. But there was nothing to just, document. And I mean, I do. It's so funny that, like, you know, I. Here's the thing I'll say about like social media that I probably miss is like there is a shared experience, like to an event or a thing that you don't get the same connection with. And occasionally I'll just find out. I can't remember what it was, but at dinner last night, someone brought up something and talked about the fact that it had been really badly received. And I was like, oh. Oh, I love that thing. Like, you know, yeah, so right. quite often like the, the the thing has just been that I, to find that my opinions have not been going along with the mainstream, that they have um that that's that's been quite interesting. Like to 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 think back on how many of my opinions were clearly being shaped by the commentary around those things and that when left to my own devices, I don't necessarily think what the mob thinks in those situations. But other than that, I just like, it's only those moments like for our football podcast, two guys, one cup, you can find that exclusively on the listener app. Uh, it is finals time and uh, GWS are in the finals and the GWS team are so good at doing social media, like memes, particularly around their theme song, the big, big sound. And they give me so much joy that I, the other day Googled, <laughs> like I, like just, I, di- I didn't go back on social media, but I Googled where people had posted those memes outside social media to get a little taste of it. So that's about the closest I've come to really wanting back on it. But otherwise, it has helped that the one that I used to be on the most was Twitter. Mm. Like it really helps Ugh. when you leave somewhere and then they just cover the walls with shit and set it on yeah. fire. Like it does make you – You're not missing like out if, on anything. Yeah, right? If anything, I think the people who are still there, yeah. like there's still a lot of people who I like to follow, mm. but everyone – like I hardly post there now. I literally do it for TOEFOP and that's it, but I don't really – and during footy season I would read about games and stuff. But like the temptation for me is like I don't need this anymore. Like I don't really – I'm not posting that much anymore. The other people that I like to follow I can find in other – forums but there is a kind of morbid curiosity to see how bad it's gonna get like just the way it's going at the moment like we talked about this um on uh tough with friends with dave anthony which uh uh uh, came out last friday but the level of the the quality of the advertising 
on Twitter is so like they've gone from having like McDonald's and Nike to just having these really weird no-name brands selling questionable products. I always think that's a really good sign of like where you're at. Like if you're watching the ads, even if it's like late night TV or you're on a particular side or say, whatever. It's just the, like late night TV. Yeah. The ads are a very good indication of you're like, oh, is this the sort of people that they think are here? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Should I be here? I don't feel like this is for me. Um, I found the temptation to touch my phone go away very quickly. What I am really surprised by is that I the slipperier slope is not the temptation to go back. It's the temptation to give up on all technology entirely. Like that's – and I don't think that's a healthy position either necessarily. Like I think there's some – you know, there is genuinely some – you know, the modern world relies slightly on being connected to technology. So – but it's funny, like even the news articles about like the latest iPhone that came out or whatever, you'd I'd used to look at those things and even if I didn't really use any of the things that were in the new update, there'd be a potential part of my brain that'd be like, oh, you should get the new phone because you could potentially use those things. Now, all the things that they update, all the things that they pop up on your phone or just appear when you update your phone, I'm like, I would never use that. Like I would never use some... Like I just don't do things on my phone at all. Like the idea of like there's all these new apps that are about, you know, measuring like, you know, the various things you do about your day or that like, you know, things you can use for work or like like I have become that annoying person at the office definitely where I'm just like, could you could you print that out for me, please? <laughs> <laughs> please don't like WhatsApp it to me or whatever it is. I um got this uh present from Gemma for my birthday. It's a remarkable pad. you know what these are? So it's basically a digital notebook. So oh, it's not connected no. to the internet, but you can yeah. handwrite notes. So it's like mm. just having like a digital notebook. So you can just – the idea is it's meant to take you back to that connection of writing by hand and like people prefer taking notes by hand. And there's, you can also draw in it. The you know the pen the the pen has like different settings so you can do calligraphy you can do so what happens point. like you you write on it and then it can recognize your writing and like puts it in or it just leaves well no it, it just as leaves writing. it well you can choose either so you can just write okay. and it's literally just looks like a notebook and it's got mm. they've worked very hard to recreate because you can still get it on iPads like you can get you know um, styluses and stuff pens to use on iPads but it doesn't feel the same whereas with this they actually have recreated the feeling of being. On paper, like I think the tip of the pen is made out of cardboard and it's a slightly rougher screen. So as you are writing notes, it makes that, you know, that scratchy pen or pencil sound as you're drawing. So at first when she gave it to me, I was like, oh man, like I don't need another tablet. And then it's like, it doesn't even fucking do anything. It doesn't connect to the internet. This is useless. But I like love it now. Like I, because I'm left-handed as well. Writing by hand is always a pain in the ass for me because I smudge what I write, get a big ink stain on my hand. It just sucks. But I have like a storeroom filled with like notebooks where I've written, you know, journals and notes and film ideas and all that kind of stuff. But now I can write on this. A, doesn't stain my hand, but you can keep it all in there and I don't have to worry about having thousands of like notebooks locked that I'll never open again. This you can sort of file everything away. Yeah, that's cool. Like I like that idea. I think there is definitely something to be said for um like i write a lot in notebooks like you know initially and i find that i'm always like 
much more creative. And I like notebooks because I like to, you know, like scribble out when I'm done and like, you know, actually. But I find them more creative. Like I will eventually use my computer to like write things down and, you know, you know mix them all around. But I do love that idea of like writing. The one that I find very funny is that you do feel like you've been left behind when you catch a plane because at the start of the plane they talk about like putting down your devices to look at, you know, yeah. to watch the thing. And I'm like, does this book I have count as a device? <laughs> is that like, I don't, is that my device? I remember talking to um, Lee Winnell. The, he's the guy who made The Invisible Man and, and um, Upgrade, Saw, all those kind of films. And he said- Recovery is Lee Winnell. Lee, recovery is Lee Winnell. Yeah. He said that um, when he writes the first draft of any film script, he, he'll buy a notepad, like a book, like exercise book, and he'll decorate it with whatever influences, you know, movie stills, whatever that he's thinking about. And then he writes out the entire first draft by wow. hand. And yeah. then when he goes to put it in his computer, that first draft is written. So that's what I've been trying. And it it's really good. Like, I mean, obviously a lot slower, but I think that's the point of it, right? Like I can well, sit yeah, here and write on my computer and yes. things get spell checked and you skip forward, but this sort of forces you to- Think about it. Think about it. You know, construct you, it. Yeah, there's no predictive text, no autocorrect. No. You can go but back also, and scratch it things feels, out. Yes, it feels much more like on the computer. Much more like you can just like I you're mean, editing often, as you go. When I'm when uh, well, when I'm writing, uh, yes, uh, for when you're writing, you mean yeah, like in the notebook, yes, because yeah. I like on the computer, I just like freeform when I'm writing on the computer. I just like blah blah blah. blah, blah. Whereas like in the mo- notebook, yeah, you're like, well, I'm going to go to all the fuss of writing yes, this effort. down and using this page. I'm actually going to make sure it's something good that I'm writing down. Yeah. <laughs> all right, that is Tofop uh, for this week. Mm. One a last thing to oh, actually, Will, you've got shows to plug, mm. don't you? This is I do next week. Yeah, so. Um, Newcastle, all the improvised shows are sold out, but I'm going to try to find some dates to add some extra ones because they're sold out so quickly. And Sydney, uh, thank you for coming to the What You're Talking About Will shows. I have added one in December and in January, but um, uh, getting quick because they're already starting to sell. So um, if you want to come and see those in Sydney, uh, you can buy tickets to those. We mentioned TOEFOP Live, tickets available at the link in the episode description. Also, we're teaming up again with the Junk Time Boys to do our traditional post-grand final show. The first one we've done all together, because I forgot about this, in about four years because COVID and then you're unavailable. So this will be the OG lineup, Junk Time, Two Guys, One Cup, on stage together at the Basement Comedy Club the day after the grand final in Melbourne. So Chambo texted me to say that tickets are going quick as well. Um, so if you want to get in on that, it's always a fun show. Don't know who the guest is. That will de- be determined well, by the Well, we normally get a guest whose team has played in the grand final, either for the winning team and we celebrate them and their team or for the losing team and we destroy bully. them. <laughs> Scott Scott Dooley. Scott Dooley. <laughs> I know. Michael still feels bad about that one. Do, do, that's Dooley's has built an entire career on being that. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's great at, you know, letting the joke be about him and then marrying a hot model wife and like you know, <laughs> yeah. living in New York and having a now. great life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's fine. He, he won. Dooley's won. It's fine, guys. So there's a link in the episode description as well. But we'll be back again next week. Don't forget, tofop.com, vote for your favourite Foz artwork. I'm Charlie Clawson. <laughs> well, nothing good happens in November, does it? 
Um, I don't know. It's like the end of the year. It's not Christmas isn't here yet. You know, Halloween's been like, you know, all the fun stuff. I mean, for some people, I guess the Melbourne Cup, people like the Melbourne Cup carnival. I mean, sure, my wife's birthday's uh, in November. I guess that's good for her. But for the general public, nothing good happens in November <laughs> until now. What? What's going on? What are we doing? So far, us, you and me, we're um, returning to the live stage for the first time in six years. That's right. We are doing shows in Melbourne and Sydney. Melbourne at the Basement Comedy Club, November 11th. Sydney at the Comedy Store, November 25th. Exciting stuff. These are our first shows in six years. Six years since we last did a live show. Sydney Opera House dropped those microphones, pledged that we would never come back. Entertainment demanded that we would never come back. But in your face, entertainment industry, we're back, baby. We are back live on stage, Will and Charlie, doing what we do, which we don't know what that is yet, but we'll work it out by the time we get to the stage. Charlie's (laughs) been working on it for six years, he promises me. (laughs) It's going to be amazing. So November. November 11th, Basement Comedy Club in Melbourne. November 25th, the Comedy Store in Sydney. Go to our link tree on our socials or go to tofop.com to get your tickets. See you there. Yeah.